Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Wastelanders, Vault Dwellers, welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, as usual, and today I have another wonderful guest in my series of episodes where I am interviewing experienced content creators and people who have even worked in the TV industry about their expectations of the Fallout TV show. And with me today is a good friend of mine, somebody who I have been working with behind the scenes, uh, has been helping me put together the videos for the Fallout Lorecast YouTube channel, and somebody who runs his own channel, which is now starting to actually blow up. Uh, he does some really cool stuff. Welcome to the show, Chipmunk. How's it going? Good, Tom. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, it's going well. I mean, I thanks to Reddit, it's going really well at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I had no idea of the influence of Reddit. I mean, I know it's out there, but they posted, some fan posted about the travel show a couple weeks ago, and all of a sudden, my subscribership doubled in a single day, and then the episode he posted on went from a handful of views, like 60 views, up to 2,800 by the end of the day. Yeah. And it was just the one post that had that major impact. But now, because my my problem is that I never, because of doing the two shows, now writing our own podcast, which is a prequel of the two shows, doing the lore cast with you guys, and then, of course, working full-time, I have no time and I don't have any time to market or do the things I need to do to get, get the show out there. Cause I'm not full time with my channel. Right. So right. yeah, that's always a challenge. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of content creators struggle with the same thing. It's, it's something, it's how I started my shows. It was, it was something I would do after work or on the weekends and I have to squeeze it in and any extra work I could do, I would just kind of fit in the cracks of my life. Right. Uh, and try to do as much as I could. Um, but here, let's give people a little bit of a rundown and tell them what exactly is your YouTube channel about? What are these videos that you've been doing? I know you've been doing it for a while. Yeah, it's the there's two shows on the channel currently, and there's some old stuff, but it, let's ignore that. Let's stick with just the Fallout shows, <laughs> which is the majority of the channel. Um, I do a YouTube, or I mean, a in-game sitcom that we shoot in 76, and the first two seasons were all in 76. Season three, which we're currently in, is between 76 Elder Scrolls and soon to be Red Dead. So it crosses three game platforms and it's a lot of fun. Um, it was a product of COVID, <laughs> like a <laughs> right. lot of creative content was because I had, I had just, I literally, I had spent seven years developing this, my last indie film project. And it was a big one. Well, I, I'm not going to say it was because it's still in the works. It is a big project. And we went from, I mean, initially I went through multiple writers. We did all kinds of preliminary work, moved into, you know, the, the all the seed budget type thing to get the initial marketing, all of that six years of development. We finally got it right where we wanted it. We had my entertainment lawyer, uh, an SEC lawyer to write up all the contracts for doing the investments and all of that. We were ready to go. 
And I went out to lunch with my entertainment lawyer right before Christmas. And he was talking about, because he loved the script and he had a friend who was a DP on Dances with Wolves who loves the, the concept and wanted to see it. He got on board and we were just right there. Mm-hmm. And that was 20, that was December, 2020. Oh, and then COVID <laughs> and, hit and then, oh, so yeah. yeah, it hit. And then everybody's like, well, pull back because we don't know how this is going to impact the, you know, small projects. And I'm so glad I did because it, it would have destroyed us financially for one thing. Um, but I, I went into an, a, a kind of a depression because it's like all that yeah. work yeah. now I can't do anything. And I'm, it's like, we were so close to getting it going so we're my wife and I are playing 76 with a friend of ours who plays Frankie on the show. And I turned the HUD off. To, I said, I want to see if this will look more real without the HUD. And I wanted that experience. So I turned the HUD off and I'm like, hey, you know what? When you do that, you become a camera. Yeah, right. <laughs> as soon as I said it, it's, it's just like, no, 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 no. What are you? What are the wheels are already turning? I said, oh, my God, we could shoot a show. Look, at we've got sets. We've got locations. We got everything we need. We, we can do it just the way we produced films. And of course, I, I knew Machinima existed, but I didn't know to what level because I really hadn't paid attention to it that much. So we started doing the show. We said, well, what are we, let's do, because I come, my writing background is all sitcom and mainly children's uh, stuff, but um, sitcom was my forte. So I said, let's do a sitcom in 76, which is like, nobody's doing that. So that'd be funny. Yeah. We never thought it was, we were going to really do anything with it. And we loved the first episode. And then we just kept going and it got, as it progressed, of course, we learn more, I learn more. And the thing is we do it on Xbox. So we're all on Xbox. So there's no control over what happens. And it's like, well, okay, so this, and, and what I said to all of them, because everybody's like, well, you can't do that. How are you going to have a death claw, you know, attack and, you know, do the things you need it to do. And I'm like, it'll happen. It just have faith. And, you know, it's, it's kind of just all those happy accidents. And it doesn't matter. We have unlimited time to shoot and tape. Right, so right. whatever happens, happens. We'll mix it together. Yeah, but it won't look right. So we're, there was all those discussions and I'm like, no, I'm going to write the stories the way I want to see the stories. I'm not going to write with the confines of the game in mind. So I did that. And then they're reading like, no, no, can't do this. Can't do this. Everything that's been written is exactly what we taped. And nice. there, there yeah. are moments where our jaws are on the floor there and the, the greatest one. And it's such a simple thing, but in one of the episodes in season two, it calls for an iBot to come in and the, the villain Victoria is talking through the iBot and it's supposed to hover right in front of Chip, who's sitting on this couch with a dead responder. And it's like, well, how are you going to get to hover? I'm like, well, just shoot it and see if it'll stay there for a minute. Or if it doesn't, we'll just mat it in with a cheap animation. So my friend is there off camera shooting it and it starts sparking, but then it glitched. And it's stuck there <laughs> exactly where it wow. is in the script. Wow. And I'm like, oh, my God, this can't be happening. So it's like we do the whole scene in, in minutes and it's that kind of thing. And that kept happening. And it's like, OK, the video gods are smiling on us once again because we're getting all these happy accidents that everybody thinks we're doing and we're not. <laughs> yeah. Todd, Todd's helping you out somewhere out there. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> so I, I think he approves. That's great. <laughs> so. That's great. So you've you've covered a lot of things. Your experience with uh, now Machinima with 76, <laughs> your background with like actual real world production stuff like TV mm-hmm. and writing and, and producing and creating actual 
real stuff. And then there's the, your travel show where mm -hmm. you actually dress up as yes. a vault boy. <laughs> yes, it, that I am. I never planned the travel show. It was just because we had already we were in the second season of the sitcom when they did New Vegas Day last year. And I'm like, oh, we got to go to this because we're only four hours away. So we went out there and all of a sudden I was in the wasteland with a thousand other people in, right. in costume. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And it was so and off subject, but it, everybody out there, all of your fans, if you have the opportunity to go to New Vegas Day, it'll be November 17th. I'm on the planning committee now, but the um, it is the most wasteland experience you'll ever have it is it is like going into the game it is so much fun it's it is it's not like a con it is like going to a honky-tonk with a bunch of raiders and power armor guys and you name it it's there <laughs> people it is the too. most fun yeah. it's it's yeah. a ride but anyway when we when i went i'm like you know we did this years ago like 10 years ago i was doing a photo essay of going to the locations in a vault boy costume mm -hmm. but it was terrible and it was like well, what am i going to do with this like there's no real platform for it so it was fun but i couldn't do anything with it at new vegas day i'm like okay what if we did a show <laughs> and we beef it up a little bit we go to these locations we'll do interviews we'll make it fun and i asked steven who owns the pioneer saloon would you be the first guest and he's like oh absolutely so we did and it right away the fans were loving it as far as the you know the, the concept and everything else and i'm like okay i'm gonna go with it so i did a full season of all the new vegas location most of them and i got I, it's more people started to get on board it's like the guy the guy who's the curator of the um uh, the national atomic testing museum he i i contacted them i said i can't go to the actual test site but i could I come to your museum? And he's like, absolutely. I saw your, I saw an episode of yours a while ago and I was hoping you'd reach out to us. I'm like, Oh That's my awesome. God, this isn't really happening. That's so cool. And so he ended up, he's a huge follow up fan. When I was going, I'm thinking this is going to be one of those tacky strip kind of museums. And that was kind of my <laughs> expectation. We pulled in and I'm like, is this the building? Because <laughs> my wife's the camera person. She's like, it's, that's what the sign says. And we're looking at it. It's like, it's huge. It ends up being, it's a Smithsonian museum. Wow. And when you go in, it is mind blowing. And this guy meets us right at the door. He goes, I, I hate to tell you this, but I can only, I've only got like, I can only give you like 10 minutes for an interview. And I'm like, dude, that is fine. No problem at all. I can't thank you enough for being, letting us be here. Once we started talking, He's like, oh, hold on. Let me find out about my meeting. He goes and cancels the meeting. <laughs> he great. spent five hours with us. Wow. We scoured that museum and I learned so much. And it was it was just that was a fascinating experience. But I had to break that into three episodes because there was so much content. Yeah, that so was it sounds like you really made his day. <laughs> wow. What's that? It sounds like you really made his day. Oh, I did. It, yeah. And I gave him a snow globe, too, because they had just come out with the uh, gaming heads that just come out with that series. So he has an official test site snow globe on his test nice nice <laughs> so very cool guy nice so, so yeah so your channel's uh, the chipmunk show right it's that's the, the official name of the channel remind me is it the chipmunk show yeah, it's the is chipmunk show it? okay um it's two words chip and then m-o-n-k show 
Uh, now you can actually find it by searching that before you got Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a popularity difference there. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> awesome. Well, th- I mean, it's it's so fun to talk to you. And you've like I mentioned before, you've been helping editing and put together the video for episodes that I've recorded that were originally just audio. So you've kind of worked your magic on that as well. And those are now up on YouTube as well. Um, and so with all this experience, I really wanted to get into your thoughts on the fallout tv show because your your lens just like talking to lawrence the other week as a creator as somebody who's worked in the industry specifically but also somebody who creates your own content you i'm sure you realize how you have to take this information how you have to cater to an audience how you have the expectations of the fan base and the things that you have to do right in the eyes of the fan base, which it sounds like you're doing with your shows currently, uh, because people seem to like them a lot. Um, what is your perspective? And I, I know we haven't seen the series yet. We just have the trailers and speculation about things, but let's just kick this off. If you were doing the Fallout TV show, if you were writing or helping produce or even just videographing it, what kinds of, if that's even a word, videographing, um, I think it is. <laughs> uh, if, if you were behind the scenes, what kinds of things would you make sure to, to to do right in order to make this actually work yeah that's a good question and then let me put out there before we go down this road um these are my opinions only (laughs) um but based on my life experience i was i was in a chat years ago and when we were doing the photo thing and we were posting and i said i really hope at some point or somebody said i hope they make a fallout movie and I said, I don't know if they make a movie. You can't condense Fallout into a movie. It needs to be a show. Yeah. But they can't go down the road of The Walking Dead where there's no hope and, you know, so on. It has to have the spirit of Fallout, the game. It, you have to have all those layers. You have to have the subtle comedy, the dark humor. You have to have the, the style and the art of the 50s, you know, all that is Vault-Tec and Vault-Boy. And still layer that with, most importantly, a character-driven story where you're, the audience is invested in the characters you care about and you want to see those story arcs, and it's going to bring you back week after week. And all of a sudden, somebody goes, yeah, but we don't even know what the, you know, what the power or what, uh, what do you say, um, what the vault suit should look like. And I said, well, of course you do. You, yeah, you've do. got yeah. all the canon. You've got the tech of Fallout 4 at this point. You know what the vault suit looks like. Right. You know what a death claw looks like. Don't right. reinvent a single thing. Yeah. In fact, and, they could export the actual 3D assets from something like Fallout 4 or 76 and uh, like print them. Like you can, you know, like 3D print them and then expand right. them out and design actual clothing based on the you know and, and update it in certain ways but it's easier to do than it's ever been before to take something right. like a video game asset and turn it into a a jacket that you can wear or whatever right i know and that and that's exactly because what i said about the death claw was you don't want a producer to come in and say no i want it to look like a, a velociraptor from jurassic park you want the, yeah. somebody to say it's either the fallout 4 version or the new vegas version right those are your choices of death claws yeah and to me, <laughs> this is why I'm getting excited about the show, because from what I've seen of the trailer and and knowing that Todd is an executive producer on it and that there's a lot of creative um, focus coming out of Bethesda, 
if they hold those reins tight and they keep you know, let the writers do what they're good at and write the stories. Cause, cause no, you know, you, you can't take game writers and, and have them writing for film and television. It's a whole different animal. Um, but you have, they have unlimited resources to bring in the best writers and they have, I mean, that's the thing is like the, the main showrunner um, and I assume director is the guy who did most of the first season of Westworld. And that, to me is tremendous because yeah. I loved the first season of Westworld. Yeah, it was great. And to it couple was that good. with Bethesda's talent pool, you're going in the right direction. And, and we can see that in the trailer. Everything we've seen has a very, very Fallout-esque look to it so far. And the cast, I mean, the, I, I can't think of the guy's name, but the, you know, from Justified and um, uh, uh, Ant-Man. Was yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, I love him as an actor. And then of course, Kyle McLaughlin is in it. And it's like, okay, there's a lot to get excited about at this point. And I'm not, a, I'm not at all expecting to be disappointed, but again, I'm not a critical person. I love, I, I can watch Barbarella, as you know, <laughs> and right? enjoy it every time. <laughs> Yet I can recognize that Citizen Kane is a brilliant, great film. Right. So and Casablanca to me is like the ultimate, American film of all time. So I, I have the range, but I still will love Barbarella at the end of the day. And it's like, so right. for me to get critical on something, don't expect it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's, you have, you come into it with different expectations, you know, Citizen Kane is arguably the best film ever made. Mm-hmm. And then something like Barbarella is much more in the realm of like B movie. And if you go into Barbarella, which we, we talked about the inspirations for Nuka Girl, that's from that episode that you helped put together mm-hmm. for me. Um, we, we talk if, if you go into watching Barbarella expecting it to be Citizen Kane, you're going to be very disappointed. But if you right. go watch it and you go, oh, well, this is a this is an old movie from like the 60s or 70s. I don't remember a specific date. Um that is very much playing up these B-movie tropes and it had a very limited budget and, and you look at it from that perspective and then you can find the things to enjoy in it, right? Um, mm. So, so yeah, I think that's part of part of where uh, this conversation has gone with you and Lawrence and even our patrons is, is uh, managing expectations. And this is one of those things that the internet is terrible at right now is that everybody mm. decides that everything has to be 100% perfect or they're going to burn it down. They're going to comment on on Reddit and every other, you know, social media platform on the internet about how it's the worst thing that's ever happened. And, and you know, oh, the death clause looked pretty close, but they forgot that the, the horns are supposed to go forward on the males or whatever, right? They'll pick like one right. little detail and then that will ruin the entire show. And right. I, I, you and I are on the same page. Yes, we know those details. We're fans of the lore. But if they don't get it, the lore part 100% right, but the spirit of the show is good. And this is something yeah. I, I said on, on the Lawrence interview. If the spirit is good, if the acting is good, if the writing is good, if the production is good, if they fudge a few little details or specifically choose to change them because that's just where the lore is going and transforming into, I, it's not going to be a deal ender for me. And I feel like you feel the same way. Oh, abs- absolutely. And I feel like that with most projects, but... The thing is, and I, and I understand this, um, you know, the, the, for all the, I wouldn't say haters, but, you know, people that are extremely critical and you find a lot in the, in our world, in the, you know, the, the geek world um, with comic books and, and sci-fi and all that. Um, and the studios know that as well. But, you know, the, what the thing is, 
every so often they'll get a franchise or a, a, a project that is such high quality that they're not going to, you know, like Walking Dead started out, you know, they, it had a, it had a following, it had the lore and there's a lot of this and they'll go, they'll really be faithful to it and they'll put their best, you know, best work into it and do the best they can to maintain it over time. I imagine Fallout's going to do that much better because yes, there are specific expectations and nobody's going to hit it exactly the way everybody wants because you can't please everybody. But as you said, if the production values are good and the, you know, the right people are the creative force behind it, which it seems to be the case. And if they can keep that going through at least four seasons, if not more, then you've got to, you've got to hit because what a lot of people don't consider is a studio has to, especially doing a, a show, they have to reach out to a much wider audience than just the, 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 you know, the video game fans, they right. have to reach the mass audience. Otherwise right. it would never have been green lit and they know they can do that. So you're going to bring on non fallout fans into this franchise and introduce them, which is a win-win for obviously for Bethesda. Yeah. Um, well, and for, but, and for us as the mainline fans, if they bring a whole lot of, if they bring millions of new people into being fans of fallout and then those people check out the games they buy the games then there's more impetus to make more fallout games right which we benefit from like if you look at the entire picture the other the other dilemma here is if they create something that 100 percent resonates with all of the fans that it's 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 new vegas 2 on a screen that you don't play you just watch right and everyone's like oh my god this is the best fallout thing ever but somehow alienate the broader audience then that show cannot continue to be made because it doesn't get enough viewership and although the fans are happy with it they'll be very disappointed when they're like well season two is canceled because we didn't get enough people to watch it's right they've got to tread like the edge of a knife <laughs> they have to they have to make sure that most of the fans are happy but that this also resonates with a, a broader audience that has no background has no understanding of fallout now you mentioned um and, and people may be wondering about this well you said specifically you don't bring in video game writers to write for TV and movies. And I have a feeling that a lot of people are probably thinking, well, why not? Why not bring the video game writers in to write the show? In your experience, why? What? Are, what's the reason for that? Well, and I wouldn't, I, I can't make a generalization of that scale because maybe they have done that. Um, but there's different, there's all types of different writers. Um, and to write for a video game, you're writing a bunch of small stories that have to be extended out to carry the dialogue and, and to keep the game components moving along. It's a very disjointed writing. So you'll have writers who are probably, I mean, they're, they're skilled writers. They're going to write this story or they're going to write that story. And one may shine, one may be excellent. Another may be just like, okay, well, that's going to move the plot along. So that's fine. But to write a teleplay <laughs> or to write, to be involved in what I assume the fall show is going to do, where you've got multiple story arcs going on and then a larger story arc that takes a level of experience and skill that most people in the video game industry don't have. The reason that it's going to be controversial, but one of the reasons that they're there is because those jobs were available to them. Only 3% of writers ever get an agent in Los Angeles. I was lucky enough to do it, but it's like, even me. Yeah. And I, I consider myself a decent sitcom writer. I, had, I wrote, you know, uh, spec scripts for Malcolm in the Middle and Frasier and all this when I was getting in there. Those got to those producers. And I was, 
I got a lot of good criticism for what I was doing, but I was, I was pitching my own show. And then of course that's right when reality TV was hitting. So that killed us. But the point being is that even then I still never got a produce credit. I did work, Mm -hmm. but I never got a produce credit to Mm -hmm. get onto a staff and to get a produce credit after being that 3% to get to that 1%. Yeah. The odds are so against you. So yes, you, you can be a video game writer and you can have the experience and you can know the franchise, you can know the characters, you can know the story. Are you good enough to get into the 1% that's writing and is credited with, you know, on a writer's guild project, like uh, the Amazon show, maybe, but probably not. So chances are, um, you know, but that's the thing. And as I said before, with, with Todd Howard being executive producer, he's got, he's, you know, vetting these people and knowing that so that the heart of fallout is going to come through them. Now, mind you, I know plenty of writers who are huge fallout fans that are good writers. So it, there's no shortage of people who can really bring it to bear on the show. And if, if the team that was on season one of Westworld, they've got a natural way into it because they're already really good sci-fi writers. My thing about it is do it now. They probably won't, but make it follow this footsteps of, Battlestar Galactica or Breaking Bad, where you have a incredibly brilliant story, a brilliant story arc, but they both had an end game and they knew it from season one. It's like if you do that, you could have you could have a classic on your hands. Yeah, I think that's important in modern TV is to have a sense of of the scope of the entire story, where the end is going, have the end written and know that that's the place you're, you're going to. So you don't end up with something like Lost. Where it's mm-hmm. like, well, we're just figuring this out as we go. And like, it seemed very clear by season two that they were probably in some, they probably weren't alive anymore or were in some sort of hell or uh, whatever, right? And then like the writers were like, uh, the fan base thinks this is what's up and that was where we were going. So we need to change it. You know, it like, it just didn't feel right, right? Um, so so basically what you're saying is that the there's a, there's a level of vetting and a process to get to the point where you you are somebody who is considered for for writing these kinds of shows. But also the the scope and the scale and the pacing is different than a video game. I think when people think about something like Fallout 4, there are lots of writers on Fallout 4. There are lots of people writing individual quest lines, a different character dialogue. It's a it's a group effort. And it's not like there's just one person who wrote the overarching story and then filled in all the little details. And anytime there was a side quest that related to Paladin Dance or whoever, that that was the same writer. That's not how that works. The game is so big that you have a team of writers and different people take on different parts. Uh, but when it comes to something like episode one of the TV show, you probably have one or two main writers, right? Who write that together. They understand the pace of it. They understand where it's going. They understand what the next, the point of the next part of the arc is for the second episode, for the third episode, where the end of the season, maybe it's eight, eight episodes long, right? What the, what the finale is going to be and how they're going to build up to that and foreshadow certain things. And they all get together. But for the most part, whoever's writing episode one is the person writing episode one. It's, mm. it's very much its own story in its little box that fits in with the rest of the story that anybody else is going to be writing for the rest of the season. And it's, it's, it makes sense. It's a very different kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the, the, 
and it looks like they have a really cohesive team, which is fantastic because if you have a, you have a director who's in tune with the writers and you have good, you know, a good showrunner, good, good head writer, good staff writers with working well with the, you know, the director and the producers, which are technically the same thing in TV, but not producers, director, but writers, producers, um, it could really have a, a, a really strong chance of succeeding really well on all those levels. And I, I think personally, I think it will. I think they've put the right people together and I think it's going to, I think it's going to go gangbusters once it goes. Yeah. Um, and plus the fact now with modern technology, they can do, like I was saying before, when I write for the show, it's like, well, maybe we can do it, but they can, they can, whatever they imagine they right, can make. Right. The death know? claw jumps on the brotherhood of steel uh, soldier and tears his helmet off. And then like, right. They can imagine that they can make it happen. They've got the technology and the equipment to totally do that. Right. So yeah. they have free reign to be as creative as they want. And I, and I know they're going to go to the source. I, I know that I it's, that's what Warner brothers doesn't get with DC. It's like, you know, do what Disney did with Marvel, go to the source and, and have faith that those people are going to deliver the quality because it's not about Captain America or Iron Man fighting. It's about who those people are and right. their internal conflicts and their characters, their character arcs and all of that. They're going to do that with this show. I I can just tell by looking at the trailer. And it's like, that's what that's what all great cinema and television is based on. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Well, we're going to take a quick break for the mid mid break. I got to go think of the patrons and stuff like that. But I want to get to some of your specific predictions for the story and where that's going. So don't go anywhere. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right. I hope you're enjoying the interview. We're in the middle of the show. And so I have to shout out our newest patrons, Dean C, Scorpius 501st, and 501 501st, words are hard, and Gavin N. Welcome to the Patreon. Thank you for signing up. I'm so glad that you are here. Also, we have to shout out our Sentry Bots, Germinator Sky R. Thank you so much for your support as well. And if you are interested in joining us on the Patreon, getting some really cool stuff like ad-free episodes early, stickers, t-shirts, things like that, head over to patreon.com slash falloutlorecast and check everything out. Also, if you'd like to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll read those out on the future episodes of the show as long as they're five-star reviews. We don't have any new ones this week, but if you'd like to leave one, maybe you'll get read out on the next episode of the show. Also, rating the show on Spotify, sharing with your friends, all of that is super helpful. Thank you for all your support. Now let's get back to the interview. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right, we're back, and uh, I'm excited to get into this. So with the Fallout TV show, we know some of the characters that are involved. We know roughly the setting. We know uh, we've seen even seen like a Yao Guai, right? We've seen a big old mutated bear, and it looks amazing. Where do you think the story is going for the first season? If you were behind the scenes writing this script, where would you take this? We know it's... It's a few years after Fallout 4, which means it's a number of years after Fallout New Vegas. It's set probably on the West Coast, but probably has scenes from other places, maybe some time jumps, maybe some flashbacks. Where would you take the story? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, well, I wouldn't introduce Chipmunk. I mean, I would. <laughs> what if he was just in the background of one of the scenes? <laughs> Believe me, just like, he's like doing a tour somewhere with some other people. And he's like, he just kind of waves. 
exactly. <laughs> just, just he's the marketing guy for what well, was vault but right. he's still alive. Right. Beside, Why is the vault um, mascot walking around in the, oh, never mind. <laughs> Yes, doing a travel show. Right, right. (laughs) But no, I I don't know. Well, I don't want to disappoint because what I've been trying to do is avoid the trailer, the official trailer I'm fine with. And it gives me glimpses and I'm happy with that. But I really want to, I still, like a kid, I want to be surprised. Mm -hmm. I I used to. I'm not going to hold you to, I'm not going to hold you to any predictions. This isn't going to be like, if it doesn't do this, then, but just like off the top of your head, like what, what would be a fun scenario? Where, where do you think this goes? Well, one of the things I really like about the look of it so far is it has a Mad Max Road Warrior look to it. And that, that I love. Um, Given that, I mean, I think it's going to take place in the West Coast um, from what we've seen. Um, So to see the NCR, what state that's in um, at this point, it would be interesting. I it's it's hard to tell from anything we've seen so far. Obviously, if the Brotherhood has, you know, the airship, uh, there's larger conflicts going on that we're (laughs) that we're going to be introduced to. I want to see where the major factions are not so much caesar's legion because i still just can never get my head around that even though we just <laughs> did that episode right <laughs> oh and by the way i i put um galian dialectic in episode two of the podcast we're gonna do you're gonna love it oh nice, nice. But the um the whole thing you know with where where's the enclave you know what state is that and what states of brotherhood in to see that mounting and going as a overall long-term plot would, I would love that. Um, it, to, Cause I love the larger factions. I love the whole concept of what, how is the world evolving at this point? Is it devolving into nothing but a, you know, a, a lunchbox for monsters? Is it going to be something more? Is there going to be a synthesis? <laughs> um, you know, as so what i kind of want to see that is where those are the questions that we want to see answered as we go along and you're gonna you know and and i love that kind of a story i love the journey into where is the world evolving mm-hmm. um so that's what i hope to see as far as the characters i mean we obviously know there's a vault dweller we've seen inside the vault we've seen conflict inside the vault um i don't want to read Personally, I wouldn't want to rehash a lot of what we've, you know, set it on the same trail as Fallout 3, where the Lone Wanderer goes out and does this, that, and the other. I, I hope that the story is is more, it, it, again, it's that person's discovery, who they meet on the way, and what they're led into as far as what, what's been happening in the world. Um, so I, I, I kind of rambled on that. Um, I, I, because what I'm seeing in the trailer, I already, it's what I was hoping to see, you know, mm-hmm. it, the, the real core of fallout kind of things. Right. And because like you said, to see the Yawgwai, oh, that's cool. And, and, and that gives me hope because like, they didn't show the death claw. They didn't show yeah. any of the big things. Cause it's like, you know, you're holding back and or super mutants. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It, it, exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> because you know they're a major part and for them not to show it having produced everything already they they know they're holding on to the best and that's why because i hate a trailer that shows everything yeah they're not yeah they're only showing little glimpses to, to bring you on and and then to go from the yagwai to then showing the airship it's like the whole scope is there yeah so yeah that's that's 
I'm dying to see those things unfold. <laughs> I think you you hit on an aspect, and I think this is important, is for as much as they reveal about what we can learn about Vault-Tec, being that there's two different vaults that we'll probably see, uh, what we can learn about the Brotherhood, being that we'll be following one of the characters in the Brotherhood, and we see other other members and, you know, the, the airship. I'm sure we're going to get some behind the scenes with Brotherhood and how all that works. Uh, and then maybe even the NCR and some of that. But you've touched on some of these other groups. There's the Enclave. There's uh, Caesar's Legion. There's there's a whole bunch of other mystery, even vault Still, a lot, large parts of vault are a big mystery. Um, mm -hmm. And this idea that they, they can dip into each of these things, but they should just put a toe in and leave a lot of mystery. Like yes. if the Enclave does show up, I hope that it we don't get a like behind the scenes at the Enclave headquarters while all this is going down. And you have like all the muckety mucks talking about like what they're doing and how they're going to take over the wasteland. Like if anything, I want just some mysterious guy to show up and then some rumor of the Enclave, you know, like I, I want. I want mystery, I think is what I'm saying. Like you, you could show me the other stuff. You could dig into those other other areas. But even if you do that, leave things mysterious. There right. needs to be like the edges of the universe still need to be fuzzy and vague in compelling and interesting ways that make me that make you and me and everybody else, you know, come up with these ideas in our heads about, well, maybe this is what's happening behind the scenes. Maybe this is what's happening. Maybe this is related to this thing that happened in the game. That kind of well, stuff. And, and that's that's what would make a show great is it's like if you introduce the enclave slowly yeah. and very subtly and then all of a sudden you've got a whole planned story arc for that, which would be a whole season, maybe. Sure. Yeah. There's that kind of thing. What I mean, imagine if you got a glimpse of something about Mr. House or the yes man or something that's somewhere in there. Yeah. Imagine how the fans would react to that. And it's like because all those are open ended right. as we play the game. Yeah, leave like us wondering have... if, if if House is alive or dead. Like, right. we don't know. We don't know the canon ending for New Vegas, right? Like, which is he alive still or is he dead? Well, maybe some people believe one thing and some people believe the other. And it's a very, very brief reference that we get in the first season, which builds to something like season three or, or something like right. that. Yeah, I would love, I would love, love, love that. That kind of uh, writing. And you mentioned uh, Westworld. Um, mm -hmm. The so much of what worked for season one of Westworld was a limited amount of information. We saw right. everything from the pers perspective of very specific people who either worked there or were in, you know, engaging in the park as visitors. And the stuff that we were that was being unveiled throughout the first season was all mystery. And even at the end of the season, there were still mysteries that we did not fully understand. Um, the nature of, of these creatures that they built like uh, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on there Which may, leads me to the question of do you think with Westworld writers and this being after Fallout 4? Are we going to get any synths? I, I would have to imagine they will um, and all because it, I, the, I, my gut is absolutely we will because it's so close to home for them. And, and I hate to bag on Westworld, but obviously they took from Fallout 4 in their art design and their conceptualization when they were, you know, did, you know, the behind the scenes of Westworld. It's very similar to the, the 3D printing and everything else. Yeah. And yeah. but even so, it's like, yeah, you've got a great resource. And, and my gut feeling is that's probably why Bethesda reached out to them in the first place. Uh -huh. They were like, wait, they you almost it. did Fallout. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. And that may have inspired the whole thing in the first place for all we know. I, who knows what the, you know, the 
relationship was there, but, but the um, it, it's, I, I think we're going to see that. And I, and I hope we do, because I, I find that stuff interesting anyway, but there's so much lore that they can draw from. And really some writer may say, Oh, what if we did bring Mr. House in and we did this? And then that just explodes in the writer's room as a brilliant idea. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, that's how it works. So my, I trust in these guys. And I think that they've got writers who know all the canon and all the lore and that they're just going to have all those unlimited resources to draw from and go, because we were, when I mentioned Battlestar Galactica before, I, I think that's a perfect parallel example because the you know regardless of the technology what they can do it still was so brilliantly executed because the characters were so good and well-defined in the conflicts and you talk about mystery to not know that he was you know a cylon until the very end Right, and, right. And Certain people are Cylons. That, they they the hinted it from the beginning. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, oh, wait, more people than we ever thought were Cylons. Oh, right. and what are they actually after? Oh, right. you know, like, yeah. Yeah. All and, then, and, the, and, and then a brilliant ending that 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 was the foundation of, of our current existence as humanity. I mean, that if they reach that level with and they can with Fallout, it doesn't have to be a first person shooter. It, it's going to be this. It's this organic thing about characters and stories and it's like that's they're doing it and they're going to do it and i think that's why it's going to be a great show yeah i think i think you're right i think there are one of the things i've learned after doing this show for years is that the fan base tends to gravitate towards two or three main things one is the factions and the mystery of the world uh, like who, who's the brotherhood really, who's really in charge The you know, how did, how are they created? Like a lot of the episodes I do in this podcast about like, how, where did this faction come from? What happened before the war? Who was, what is the political landscape? Like all of that, like these kind of broad strokes of the world stuff. Uh, the other thing that people gravitate to is the feeling of it, the setting, the, uh, retro futurism mixed with post-apocalyptic stuff. The third thing that, and, and these aren't in any, any specific order, but the third major thing that people tend to glom to onto are the characters doing episodes on the show about who is this character? Who is this companion? What is their motivation? Why do people love them so much? So many people gravitate towards that, you know, like getting to know these people who you build a settlement with, you take on your adventures, you help them with their side quests. They have some sort of huge personal dilemma that resonates with you as a player or a viewer or whatever. Um, so those kind of three main tenants, if they nail those, then they're going to have all of us intrigued, you know? I think they will. And and when you, when you compare shows like from earlier shows like um, Next Generation to Battlestar Galactica or Breaking Bad. It's like in the old days, you kind of expected your first season, you were going to flush out the characters, determine who like what the audience likes, what they don't like. And then you're going to get rid of this one and add a new one. That's how it used to work. Today with those shows, it's more like there's an overall plan. And once they commit to it, they're locked in because they know they've got good stories and good scripts. I hope that's the case with this because I'd love to see once you invest in the initial characters, they're so good and so well acted and so well written that the whole audience is invested and they love it from the start. Yeah. You never know. And, they, and you could have, okay, that we got to get rid of this one and bring in somebody else, sure, but sure. do it the right way. Don't, don't, you know, 
you know, bring in, you know, Justin Bieber to play this because, you know, he's popular. He's at the a moment. famous person. Yeah. But they yeah. won't. <laughs> yeah. I can hear the dog uh, drinking the water oh, yes. in the background. <laughs> uh, You've got your own dog meat back there. Look yeah, at, that. She, Look at that, that. That's Coyote. Come here. Wow. Um, for those of you listening, uh, that's a, what, what type of dog is that? She's a German shepherd. A German shepherd, right. I, I'm so bad at dog types, um, but I love dogs. Uh, that's that's awesome. You have your own dog meat. Um, yeah, this like I, I think there's a lot of potential there. And I, I think uh, your insight into this is, has helped me to kind of focus in on understanding what they're what they're shooting for or what they probably are going to shoot for and how that's going to play out. Um, do, I guess we're getting close to the end of the episode. Do how do you expect that they will engage with some of the retro futurism? Do you expect to see like or hear songs? Like, are they going? Are I mean, we're definitely good. Like, what songs are we going to get? Are are they going to be playing on radios nearby as people walk around? Or they they have to, in my opinion. That is such a layer of the experience of the game. Um, to have. Ella Fitzgerald and, you know, the, the ink spots and Bing Crosby and all of that. But even in 76, and I know it's controversial, but they brought in, you know, the Beach Boys and whatever. It's all there. I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't want to criticize it for, OK, you can't have, you know, the Beach Boys. You can't have honky tonk. It's supposed to be this. Right. No, it's that whole range. That's all in. You know, you follow the canon and understand it. It's there. <sighs> You know, it's crazy to think about uh, to, to jump in real quick. And I, I'm sorry to jump in. But uh, the distance between Ella Fitzgerald singing and becoming famous in the mid 1930s and the Beach Boys becoming famous in the mid 1960s is 30 years. Right. 30 years ago was 1994. <laughs> yes. The grunge had already done its thing and was now becoming not popular anymore it was like like in music like that that was like that was my high school right like like mm. grunge music and then all of a sudden everything was like punk and industrial and all of these other branches uh, that that kind of opened up right the distance between bands today is is to 1990s is the same distance between ella fitzgerald and the beach boys right that's insane that's so crazy to think about it is and but the thing is and i think people why they didn't react well to the Beach Boys is that they didn't think it fit. And it's like, no, it, it does when you step out of it, because you can't if you're going to rationalize a story, the country's not stuck in the 1950s. I mean, it, right. it, the art style and all that. And and believe me, doing Chipmunk, I I espouse it more than anybody else because he's golly gosh, gee jeepers all the time. Right. But that totally works in the context of what the society is and what i love most of all about the society of fallout is it's it's it mixes the idea of star trek and and we did this in the second season of the show where you've got a multicultural race of people that aren't seeing race i mean you can deal with race and yeah. we did in the in the season two but it's like like star trek this person's not black they're the they're this they're this job they're this person they're this and this person's not white he's this he's you know he's he's you right. know the laborer he's the vault dweller those are the things we see you can deal like star trek did you can deal with you can have social uh, you know morality plays and do all that but at the same time they make everyone on an equal footing and which is a beautiful wonderful thing and i think that's why globally the game is so wonderfully popular and because it, it, when you talk about a Mad Max world where there's no hope, the hope lies in that in a big way. 
mm-hmm. is that even though it's a devastated world and it's trying to heal or you know find new ground and grow there's a commonality with the people and even some like the super mutants graham and you know strong and whoever else they're still accepted in this society as as somebody that's contributing to something and something greater and it's like i love that layer and that element so when it comes to the art and the future retroism no it's not you know the, the 1950s where you had incredible segregation it's the culture and the art and the music and the style over something that it evolved into right and that's that's what i love about it yeah and when we do see segregation generally those people tend to be villains Mm -hmm. the people who well the enclave i mean right it's it's the enclave or it's the uh who's the bar owner at megaton who was uh making uh the the ghoul's life uh terrible Uh, people are gonna be like i can't believe you forget names off the top of your head but i did not prep for this part uh but (laughs) characters who tend to segregate tend to uh us and them tend to be Mm -hmm. villains um, the characters who tend to be more accepting, especially like if you play your main character role and accept all the companions and get to know them and, and see them as people, you, then the other characters blossom. You, you mm-hmm. give them opportunity. Uh, maybe you fall in love with each other or maybe they, they come across something in their storyline that allows them to deal with their past and move on or, or whatever. Right. This idea of inclusion and uh, compassion and love, even in a terrible situation where everything is desperate is ultimately the message of at least the more recent fallouts. So, yeah, I, I hope we I, I think we will see that in the show. I, I'm almost 100 percent confident we will, because it's it's one of the most beautiful messages about fallout that is all it many people miss. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's right there. It's right in front of you. Just enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I love I love when people get uh, all up in arms about like, Oh, this TV show just got so woke. These video games were never woke like yeah. this in my day. And it's like, you know, like, oh, Star Trek these days is so woke. It's like, did you ever watch the original? St- like, have you yeah. just been blind this whole time? Or or uh, a band like um, Rage Against the Machine, like, we'll, we'll talk out about something today, right? Not 30 years ago. And somebody will be like, well, if I realized you were so woke, I wouldn't have listened to your music in the first place. And it's like, did you have you just not paid attention to the lyrics this entire time? Like, what is going on? Uh, and by the way, how is loving other people a terrible thing? I know. And right. it, it, that it, that is such an excellent point. And it's like, just look at your history, people, because it goes back much farther than you you're even aware of. Right. right. And there's all been two sides to that coin and there's always been good people trying to move forward and i think as a as a culture and as a nation as dark as it seems sometimes we continue to gradually move forward you're not going to have it overnight you're not yeah, going to have it's a zigzag but uh, it seems yeah. it does seem like over time that it, it does it does get better well generally it's, it's, i get that i continue to have faith in people i you know so yeah. <laughs> there's there's times when you have to step back but other yeah. times it's like no we're on the right trajectory it's just going to take time and it's not going to be in my lifetime but maybe yeah. you know yeah we need more uh, preston garvey's in this world people yes. who who fight for what's right even though it seems like it's a losing fight uh, yeah. but they do it anyway because it's the yeah. right thing to do and because maybe they won't benefit but somebody after them will um, yeah. that's a, you know, uh, what was it like, uh, old men who plant seeds or there's some quote about like, you know, old men who plant trees are some mm-hmm. of the best, you know, that's the best way to be an old man. <laughs> it's, I guess yeah. the point of that, I've totally butchered all of that, but the idea no, being that you plant exactly something true. for a generation that you'll never see, you know, and that 
that is the that is the fundamental heart of the chipmunk sitcom is chipmunk is a character is this over optimistic pioneer scout and at the beginning he thinks he's going to get everybody together the raiders the super mutants whatever we're all going to come together we're going to fix the world which is incredibly naive (laughs) (laughs) and obviously and of course that's where all the comedy comes from but by the middle of the second season he's starting to realize that no that really can't happen and it's not till the end that his cousin the bartender the vault boy statue tells him you know we don't want you to be president. We like you the way you are because, and he doesn't see it till then, but it's like all these, the Raiders, the super mutants, you know, whoever are hanging out in his bar and casino and they're having fun when they're doing karaoke and whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's all about, you're setting this example. That's the best you can do. And that's the story arc for him is that he comes to the realization that I can't fix the world, but I can at least try to set an example of how we can, how we, we can fix the world, right. but it's the best we can do. Yeah, this is this is the extent of my reach, and that's enough. Like, yeah, I, I can I can affect the world directly around me, even if I can't fix the entire world, and that's enough. Um, and yeah. that's a wonderful place to to end this uh, conversation. That's 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 awesome. Um, share with everybody how they can check out your content and anything you've got coming out that you're excited about. What do you have going on? Yeah. So again, um, if you just go to YouTube and search chip, the, the chip monk show chip, C H I P space M O N K show, you'll find the sitcom and the travel show. And you'll notice the difference because the travel show has live pictures of me in a costume and the, the chipmunk show, the sitcom is all in game images, but it binge the sitcom because it's a, it's, it's binge worthy and it's fun. And that's where you'll find those. The the travel show, again, where the first season's all New Vegas, second season's all West Virginia. I'll be in Helvetia next Saturday if anybody, or this Saturday if anybody's going. I've got a table in the, the Star Band Hall. Come in, say hi. It's Chipmunk. Can't miss me. I'll be in costume. <laughs> Look for the <laughs> giant ball boy. Hope for Ken. So, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna cover all the bases there. So there's that. The podcast is uh, JJ Mills, uh, who's one of the creative writers. He was he's done stuff with Chad and different things. We're writing a prequel podcast, <laughs> which is Chipmunk and Dorfman, who created Nuka Shine and Roy the bartender at Voltec University before years and years before the other shows doing this radio show that's terrible and victoria his nemesis comes in and they sell the station to her and it becomes this point counterpoint types snl thing but we're going to interview our guests that they interview are creative characters in the community from all the different podcasts like with once upon a wasteland and new responders and fallout 50 and all of that so that's kind of the format of that. So that podcast we're writing now, it'll, we'll probably start producing it in the summer and then re- start releasing it toward the end of the summer. That's exciting. And of course your Lorecast videos, which are amazing and the content every time I hear one, because now I have actually, I listen to them and, you know, spend all this, you know, <laughs> listen to them the again and whatever. again and again, I as you edit it so much that I never knew, <laughs> but there, your content is amazing. And and the way you deliver these, the, 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 uh, I have to say the one that really threw me the, 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 um, the, uh, um, uh, the one with, uh, 
the, the Hegelian dialectic on Kaiser. Yeah. That blew my mind because I never listened to that dialogue because I just walked in there with a fat man and killed him the first <laughs> opportunity right. I got. Right. <laughs> so, um, but that, and then there've been the, the last one with um, Cabot. I thought, oh my God, how am I going to fill all this? And I guess I'll do in-game footage. But once I started getting into it, it's like, oh, this is so innovative and such an, you, you took it, it the way you did it and the way you do all of them. It's just, there's so much exposition and just, it makes it so interesting. So I love the lore cast and I love doing them. So oh, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's, it's been very nice working with you because uh, you do a lot of the video stuff that I could, I, it would take me weeks to put a video out if, but you have so much experience and you're able to edit it together and, and i really do appreciate uh working with you all and, th and thanks for the compliment um so yeah definitely go check out the chipmunk show lots of awesome content and again it's it's blowing up uh reddit somebody on reddit posted about it and now it's gotten like hundreds of up votes and everybody's like oh my god how did i not know this was here there's a lot of content out there i get it it's hard to find things but uh, i'm glad that that's working out for you but uh chipmunk th thank you again for joining me and um i'm sure we'll be talking again as we work on some more videos and uh thank you for listening i'll be back next week uh we'll see i, I haven't scheduled a, a next guest yet but you never know. You never know who's going to come in and give me some more insights into the Fallout TV show and, and expand my perspective of even making TV shows and things like that. So thanks for being here. All right. We'll talk to you next time. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.